These are unprecedented times that call for unprecedented actions. Most of all, the call for help is loud and clear. Today, we're going to talk to people who are going above and beyond. Welcome to Thursday's edition of Your New Mexico Government. I'm your host, Khalil A. Colonna. We're going to get going with the show, but first, we want to know how you're doing. Tell us about your experience. Tell us about how you're helping others. We've got a hotline and we'll play your messages on our show. Call 505-218-7084 or email us at yournmgov at gmail.com. Help needed. That's the theme for today. And if I have to explain to you why people are in need of help, I should quit the podcast and write a book called Humanity for Dummies or The Extremely Obtuse. From food and shelter to financial help, and most of us are aware that healthcare workers, doctors, nurses, EMTs, you know, the people who are exposing themselves to danger in order to save us, they need help as well. On our show today, I speak with some of the folks who are taking it into their own hands to make masks for nurses, the founder of Albuquerque Mutual Aid Program, and more. But first, YNMG executive producer Marisa DeMarco is here with a quick rundown of what we know today, Thursday, March 26th, as of 5 p.m. The Senate passed the relief package. Now it's on to the House and then President Trump for signature. Congress people say a vote will likely come tomorrow. That's Friday, March 27th, as I say this. It includes expanded unemployment, so people who are self-employed or who are contract workers can access those funds. Plus, there's a boost for how much people will get and how long they can get it for. And there's a $1,200 check in it for most taxpayers who make less than $75,000 a year. The United United States today became the country with the most confirmed cases of coronavirus, with a little more than 81,000. The country has also seen over a thousand deaths, and that's more than China or Italy or anywhere else, according to the New York Times. A vaccine is in development, but officials say it's still a year off. In New Mexico, there were 24 new cases, bringing the total to 136. Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham is calling for a 248-bed army hospital in Albuquerque, saying the disease could overwhelm our hospitals by early April. A first-hand account over at Vice by a New Mexico ER doc indicated that hospitals are moving way too slow in preparing. The public defender in Santa Fe who confirmed she had coronavirus did an interview by phone with the Santa Fe reporter. It's an important read and one that raises a lot of questions about what it takes to get a COVID test. She thought she might have had the virus since early March but couldn't get a test. In that time in her job as an attorney, she was in the presence of at least 12 people who have since gone to jail, plus scores of other folks. Find the interview by journalist Jeff Proctor on the Santa Fe Reporter's website. For your NM government, I'm Marisa DeMarco. Yesterday, the Senate passed a $2 trillion stimulus package to help the American people, businesses, the economy, and health care providers. However, much more help is needed. The hospitals, they're short on equipment. Essential workers don't have the PPE, that's personal protective equipment they need in order to help patients and other folks. And President Kennedy's words, they ring truer than ever. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. I'd like to amend that into a 2020 version. Ask not what your country do for you. Ask what I can do for humanity. My next guests are doing something for people right here in New Mexico. They're making masks. I'd like to welcome Suhan Ho and Miriam Langer to your New Mexico government. Thank you both for being with me today. 
Thank you. Thank you. So tell me, what inspired you to begin the work that you're doing? Miriam, why don't you take this? Okay, I'll start. I want to say I work at New Mexico Highlands University in the Media Arts and Technology Department. And uh, we have for about, I don't know, seven years now, been really focused on making things and not just doing things digitally. And we've been really trying to reintroduce our students to skills such as uh, sewing and soldering and being able to work with the laser cutter and in our construction lab. And we have some of these tools. And uh, I was thinking, how could we use these tools that we have to help out in this crisis? So we started first, I found the pattern online and I sent it to Suhan and she sent me a better one. And we started sending those back and forth. I decided we would deploy the tools in our maker lab up in Las Vegas out to our students, especially our work-study students who are now working from home now that classes are not in person, and that we would distribute materials to them and that they could, if they wanted to, do their work-study hours by helping in this effort. So that's how it started, and I needed Suhan's help because she's a sewing expert. Oh, wonderful. Well, who are the masks for specifically? At this point, we have reached out to healthcare providers and just folks in our network. And also want to say I'm not the sewing expert, but I would say I'm a intermediate sewer. And that's what's great about this effort is that I think beginning sewers all the way up to pros could do it. You just need a sewing machine. And the masks right now are for really for anyone. We've kind of put a call out and I don't think the shortage has quite hit the crisis point here in New Mexico. I see that it could potentially do so. I hope it, I hope it doesn't get to that. But we're making masks that could be for other frontline workers as well, such as grocery store uh, employees, delivery workers, anyone who's taking care of somebody that might be sick really kind of it's, it's an open call depending on our capacity okay so i mean I, I got a c minus in home ec but i did pass sewing with a b plus so i could get in and help in this effort you're saying you could definitely get in and we would welcome that now how can we be sure that the masks are going to be effective so we have both been doing a lot of online reading as you know there's a ton of information out there it's really hard to sift through what is you know misinformation false information but there's a lot of resources out there, and we're trying not to reinvent the wheel. So other groups are popping up all over the country. You've probably read about other mask makers. There are some great resources that we can forward links to to you. We've even got patterns that folks are saying are approved by the infection control unit in their hospital. So we are uh, limiting the models that we're trying to make to N95 covers, which could be used for just protecting the N95 masks so that they can be reused often. And then another model is one that has a filter pocket. So we believe, uh, according to everything we, you know, the best of our knowledge, we are not healthcare professionals, although we've been consulting with healthcare professionals, and we're confident about the patterns that other people have posted that have been approved online. Okay. Okay. Well, how many have you made thus far? Well, I'd say we're gearing up. I know Miriam's students are trying to get access to their labs and machines and equipment. I was just going to say we, you know, Highlands went into, we were just gearing up to do this when Highlands was like restricted access to the buildings. But for this effort, we have been able to designate some of our staff, essential staff, and they will be available to check out machines to our students. So we did have to go through the proper protocols to make sure that the students could safely go in retrieve sewing machines, 
and then we will be distributing materials and patterns. So we are also gearing up and I have seen Suhan's models. So yeah, so basically I've been testing prototypes and I haven't got into mass production. But soon enough, you all are mobilizing and we need the help. Now, how are other people pitching in to join you in this effort? So we've gotten a lot of interest just within our own network. I would say there's a pretty solid group of makers in Albuquerque and spread out throughout that are willing and able to help out with the effort, whether it's sewing, whether it's delivery, um, getting supplies. I think that we're, you know, amassing a group and I think we'll be able to hopefully with the infrastructural support and our own sort of just doing this on our own time, be able to make enough that could make a difference. Mm -hmm. Now speak about that. You're doing this on your own time. Are are both of you quarantined? Are you self-isolating per the mandate or are you forced to? Highlands has pivoted to to respect and to follow the governor's orders. So I'm staying at home. We are teaching classes online starting Monday. So I will be teaching my classes and in between we'll be working on this. And I, I do want to say that we recognize there are a lot of people in um, New Mexico and around the country who are doing incredible frontline work. Um, I just want to shout out to the grocery store workers and delivery people, and they are amazing. And I think that we know that hospitals need stuff, but these are also really crucial, essential workers who are keeping New Mexican citizens fed and safe. And we want to make sure that if there's a need that we're providing it there as well. We're helping them out. What supplies do you all need? One thing that we're doing on the show is we take the resources that we hear about on each show and we're compiling them into a list and we're directing people there if they want to help. Tell the people of New Mexico and whoever's listening to this podcast across the world, I hope they're listening across the world, what do you need to continue your efforts? Well, right now we're just two individuals trying to get organized. And so I would say that down the line, we may start to need a fabric. Um, Joanne's locally is closed. We can order those things online, but it'd be great to source those from the community. We have a Google group started in an email and the email is craftresponders at gmail.com. So people can eventually email requests and we'll start to coordinate volunteers and supply chain stuff. Wonderful. Well, we're going to make sure that people know about it. And as you all get up and running, please, please, please come back on the show to tell us about your progress and developments. Will you do that? Yes. Let's do. Awesome. Awesome indeed. Suhan Ho and Miriam Langer, two wonderful people working hard to help others. That's the theme of the show. Thank you both so much. Thank you. This morning, a report claiming that over 3 million people filed for unemployment in the United States last week was released. 3 million people in one week. Wow. That means people are going to need help with rent, bills, food. My next guest is Gilbert Ramirez, the Deputy Director for Health Programs in the Family and Community Service Offices for the City of Albuquerque. Gilbert, thank you so much for joining me. How's it going? I'm uh, doing well. Thank you for having me today. So let me ask first, it's what I'm asking everyone, how are you and your family doing? We're doing well. I, I uh, Relatively speaking, you know, my uh, my spouse works for the school, so she's here. My children are here, and uh, we are busy at the city. Okay, that's good. That's good to hear. Now, a lot of information has been going on. A lot of people are worried about how they're going to pay their bills. Rent specifically. Tell us about the rent relief program from the city. How does it work? 
Absolutely. Well, thank you for one inquiring about this. We know there are a lot of people out in our community right now really worried about how they're going to make payments with a kind of a maybe job instability or security with everything closing down. So the city does have um, some federal dollars under the um, housing urban development program. And so we do distribute that money through our program. And uh, we have four health and social service centers located throughout the city in different quadrants of the city. So basically, whether it's the Southeast, Northwest, um, North Valley area, we have an office located there um, for individuals who live in those areas. We do have some requirements. This program allows us to see if individuals would qualify for some assistance, either for eviction prevention and or utility assistance. So whether they're facing a utility bill that's past due, and in, we know right now that there's a moratorium that won't allow shutoffs. But we also understand that that doesn't mean that the bill is going away and or the accrued debt won't go away. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's very important that people understand that there is a difference and there's some of the moratoriums. The language is a little bit different. We also know that the state uh, Supreme Court did announce that there's going to be a moratorium on eviction. But that does not mean that the debt accrued goes away and or that you can't still be uh, carried through that process through your management company. So it's very important that one, people understand that and then know what resources are there. I won't lie that uh, the money we have currently is is limited. We have just under $50,000 available in our account for this fiscal year, which will end July 1 and then start again. Um, So we are screening uh, residents to see who uh, qualifies for that service. And absolutely, there are some criteria. You know, we we definitely, you have to be a resident who lives within the city limits. Mm -hmm. Um, You basically do have to be within the 80% of the average medium income for Bernalillo County. So there are some qualification pieces there. Okay. Uh, We do do need to have proof of the debt. So uh, a lease agreement, rental agreement that you bring in, and then also what the delinquency is and how much you owe. And then we'll walk you through the rest. You have to have an ID. That's for the federal dollars and federal program. So what what we're trying to do is streamline it. If you uh, are in this issue, best thing you can do is call the city 311 number. Let them know what quadrant of the city you live in. We'll connect you to the direct line to the social service center in your area. And we can do most of the evaluation over the phone and kind of say, hey, it looks like based on what you're telling us, uh, you qualify, and then you can move forward with coming in and bringing in the appropriate documentation for that program. Uh, one of the other things we we have is is a separate fund, um, and there's not a lot of money in there, so we have been asking for donations, and we have received some, so we're very um, appreciative of that, is that the city uh, social service centers have established what we call a trust and agency account. Under that account, people can donate money to it, and through that, we can then dip into that for people, let's say, who don't qualify for the eviction prevention federal program. We may be able to assist uh, a limited amount or maybe covering a portion of either the late rent and or utility bill uh, to assist people. So we're screening those and trying to make sure that we look at both programs. Individuals qualify for either one. We will try and do that. Let me and ask you this. That, Let me ask you this. Yeah. How can people contribute to that fund? So we are taking donations. People can write a check to the Family Community Service, so just FCS, Health and Social Service, and we can take a check at any one of our four locations in the city. And we have uh, one in every quadrant again. And I do, you can restrict the donation. If you want your money to strictly go to supporting rent and utility, you can put that restriction on there. Um, One of the other things we're able to do with that fund is also purchase food items, diapers, baby wipes, sanitary hygiene products uh, to give individuals. So It's totally up to the individuals to restrict it or leave it open. What we're trying to say is we already have a mechanism in place to screen and make sure the money goes to the appropriate area. Uh, We issue all money to the payees. 
So no money actually goes to a, a resident. It would go either to Albuquerque Water Utility, PNM, and or the mortgage company. Okay. And all of that is tracked. Okay. Yeah. I understand that. Now, you said that you has have, you have $50,000 in one fund until the end of the fiscal year, July 1st. Then the other fund is you're relying upon private donations. Are you concerned that you won't be able to meet need as demand increases? Absolutely. We're seeing a huge influx of individuals who are reaching out for help and assistance. And I think every, whether it's a nonprofit or other organization that is uh, providing any kind of rental or utility assistance is being uh, tapped out. We are concerned. We had a a lovely $500 donation that came in this week, uh, and we appreciate that. But we know that the demand is going to be much higher than probably what we have. Have businesses Um, been contacting you to help and donate? Uh, we haven't had any thus far, but we've only begun to push out this information as to how, and the mayor has also uh, continued to share this messaging to our community to say, we are here, and if you would like a donation to go through a filtered system like the city, we are happy to take that on, and we have that system in place. Okay, because, I mean, I'm thinking about longevity. We can be in this for a while, and, you know, other s- funding sources sound like they're necessary because we understand you know, New Mexico has always rated one of the poorest states in the country for years. And people um, are in tough situations out here. Where are you all looking for other sources of funding outside of just donations from people? Um, you know, currently we are looking within our own internal budgets if there are any uh funding that's not going to be expended as a result of what we're seeing with COVID, and we can reorganize that. We are seeing if we can move any into the fund. And we're talking also, and I'll have to say a huge appreciation for our interfaith community. Um, They're probably one of the more uh, steady donators uh, to this fund who help us, um, and we appreciate that because we know churches are pretty full with the demands happening there, uh, and they realize we have a process in place to kind of uh, manage it and screen individuals, and so they're often giving us a little bit of support with that too. But yes, definitely internally we're looking to see if we have any resources that we can move over, Um, but we know it's going to be hard-pressed for us to get this money to be carried through uh, at the current amount that we have. I understand. I understand. And lastly, the state Supreme Court banned evictions for renters this week. Now, does that ease some of the pressure on the fund? I'm glad you asked because we uh, also have another entity within our city that's been examining that to give clarity to uh, the community. And one of the things that's super important to remember is that that uh, moratorium does not stop the whole process. Managers can still take individuals through the eviction process, file it. Individuals will be responsible to either show up in court either in person and or uh, if they allow for a telephonic ability to do that. But it is important that if an individual is getting notified of potential eviction, that they reach out to their landlord and let them know what situation they're in. If they've been laid off for any reason related to this, to have that conversation with them before it moves forward. They do hold the discretion to follow that process. Uh, Once eviction notice has been given within the three days, I think it kind of follows to the next steps. What we understand is that this moratorium at the Supreme Court level, what it will do is um, when the hearings happen, they'll be allowed to testify on their behalf as to why they got behind, and then it doesn't remove the debt. The debt will still probably be there, and they maybe have um, asked to have an allowance for a repayment mm-hmm. after this. But, but once the moratorium is lifted, they will be able to continue to pursue to get that payment. So it is important that people understand that this does not mean that it alleviates the debt. We have not seen any programming or information coming out that there's any relief of that. It just stops the process from eviction 
but the debt accrued and owed is still going to be there. And that's vital for people to understand. Yes, it, it, it sort of staves off or punts the issue down the road at the moment. While we're in this emergency situation, we're not putting people on the streets. But one phrase that I've gotten rid of in my vocabulary is get, things getting back to normal, because I don't think that's happening ever again. As things settle down, they'll have to deal with these issues as well. Well, it's something we're going to keep an eye on as things develop. I would love to have you on the show to talk about it again. Is that something you're up for? Absolutely. The more we can share with the community, things are changing daily, weekly. And so as we get more information, we want to be sure to communicate it to our community so that they're aware um, and they understand these issues. And as we get it, we're happy to share that on our end. Fantastic. He is Gilbert Ramirez, Deputy Director for Health Programs in the Family and Community Services Offices for our city of Albuquerque. Thanks again for being with me. Absolutely. Thank you. It's a time of need and people need help. One of the organizers in Albuquerque who's been giving people help for a long time is Celinda Guerrero. She is the founder of Albuquerque Mutual Aid. Celinda, thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you. Yeah, and uh, it was definitely not an individual effort. There's a team of us who are experienced organizers who came together on this effort, and it's just such an honor to be in coalition with um, just all of this greatness in our city. Well, tell me about this. Tell me about this mutual aid effort. Who's involved? How does it work and how people can get access to it. So it's a collective of grassroots organizers and organizations and individuals in the community. We're using the Fight for Our Lives domain for our webpage and the Fight for Our Lives young people are just always an inspiration and so amazing to organize with. Huge shout out to Jonathan and Zoe. We have Miriam on board and uh, Monica Stevens who's involved in all of the groups Our groups, Albuquerque Save the Kids from Incarceration and Millions for Prisoners New Mexico, um, are the folks who came together on this effort. I think we've been up and running for some 10 days now or 12 days now. So we have gone from being able to initially only reach about 10 families each day to now reaching up to 50 a day. Wow, 50 a day. That's fantastic. And hopefully it just grows exponentially from here. Now, Tell me, why did you organize this and what gaps are you seeing in government response? So um, as grassroots organizers who organize in the elements of prison abolition and liberation and self-determination, we often are filling those gaps. And that's the kind of organizing that all of our groups have been doing for a long time. For example, holding events where we can feed community, working with unsheltered individuals, folks returning home from prison, organizing with people behind the walls in prisons and jails. And so it's by our nature and it's who we are. We are the folks who stand with the marginalized in the community. So it's easier for us, I think, who are doing this kind of organizing to really be able to see where the gaps are. And I think those gaps are not different than other times, right? So like unsheltered community, people who have returned from prison, people that are in halfway houses, sex workers. So the same groups of marginalized community that are often missed are the same ones that are still being missed right now. Um, But we have, and through the Albuquerque Mutual Aid Project, we've been able to prioritize folks who are immune compromised, elders who it's not safe for them to go out and shop right now, large families with a lot of children in the their home who don't have transportation to go out and access the APS lunch programs or be able to go do shopping for themselves. 
people that live in food deserts. So lots of folks in the Southeast and the South Valley don't have quick and easy access to grocery stores. We're reaching folks all the way deep into Los Lunas and Peralta and all the way to the far ends of Rio Rancho. So we've been covering a lot of ground. Wow, that's that's a lot of places. Question for you. You you do a lot of work organizing. Obviously, you got you all are expanding your reach just outside of Albuquerque and outside of the international district where you do a lot of work. How do you think this pandemic is going to affect people who are the most vulnerable, people without income, people without homes? Yeah, so I think that the the biggest concern that I have right now is what those next steps are that we're seeing evolve right now. So right now there's been a state hotline that's been put up for people to call in and tell on folks who are in groups of five or larger. That can be very dangerous for unsheltered community or people who who have to be near people for their own mental health. And so I'm concerned that if unsheltered communities and groups of larger than five, I'm urging the community, please don't call a hotline on these folks, individuals who are in parks, who are unsheltered, who are gathering because of their own mental health needs. They have been surviving in the streets and in these kinds of strange and unusual and difficult conditions for a long time, and they are protecting each other. And for unsheltered community, it's important for them to stay together for their own safety because coronavirus isn't their only threat. And so they have different kinds of conditions that they have to exist in. So as these new systems begin to develop where where government is encouraging people to call in and tell on folks like, be cautious and thoughtful about who you're calling about and make sure that it's indeed a safety issue. So I think that that's a place where I, a rub where I want to make sure that we're protecting the most vulnerable. But also as um, military and police begin to escalate in these conditions where we just saw in California, they're going to stop utility service to businesses if they believe they're operating illegally. And we don't know the status of some of our local businesses. It could be that they live in an apartment in the back, you know, or things like that. So we don't want to unintentionally push out or marginalize people who are just trying to survive in these conditions. So I know that during times of fear and anger that we often pivot to this place of punishment and, you know, and using our fear in that way. I just want to advocate to folks, don't be afraid to talk to your neighbor, put a mask and some gloves on and knock on the door, ask them if they're okay. And if maybe they're using their utilities in this business for a different purpose, maybe they're doing a mutual aid project, you know, so like, I just want to encourage people to be thoughtful when they're calling the police on people, just like we always do with marginalized community. We always want to be thoughtful and careful at who we're calling state violence on. Yeah, now it's time to be, like you said, thoughtful, mindful, and really see the humanity in people and understand that everyone has different situations. And pretty much, I'm not going to go as far as saying everyone is scared, but a majority of people are concerned. And hopefully that concern will lead to empathy and people will actually reach out and help. Speaking of how they can help, how can people pitch in with the mutual aid effort? So we are accepting monetary donations on the FFOL.org page. 
You can also go there to request a care package, but we also are accepting any donations of toilet paper, sealed up food, bleach, cleaning products, baby wipes, diapers have been in high demand. And any canned food is really appreciated because that can go a long way with folks who don't have access to cook. We're getting, we're meeting the needs for folks who live in hotels right now who are sheltering in place, you know, in those kinds of conditions. And so we want to make sure that we have lots of access to sustainable food source for them. So any of those donations are appreciated. You can email us through the webpage and we can coordinate a pickup or drop off with you. And I just want to hit, send a huge shout out to the storehouse who just contacted us and they're going to start donating 40 pre-made food boxes every week for our, to help us meet this need. And so any organizations out there, anybody who restaurants, we're calling on all folks to help us continue to meet the need. Mutual aid, we're, it's so beautiful because we're seeing some of the folks that we're giving care packages to then turn around and donate $5 on the website. And that's what mutual aid is all about. It's all about all of us taking care of each other. That's the truth. That is the truth. Last question for you. What about the people who are taking time to take care of each other who are pitching in? What are you all doing to keep them safe and how are you keeping yourself safe? So I want to send a huge shout out to our prisoners who've returned home. Clifton and Jamari D'Angelo. All the guys have been, so they have been actually cooking in the kitchen. They've been cooking for volunteers every day. And, and that way we have some good soul food and hearty meals for all of our volunteers every day. The volunteer hours are anywhere from from one to four hours a day. So we're trying to be sustainable and set up a system where we're not overworking ourselves. We want to really ground in pacing, um, making sure that people are taking the time that they need, breaks that they need. And what we have found is in, in working in mutual aid, people are really getting their heart filled here because they're able to be in solidarity and um, held in love because we lead with love in everything that we do. And so that is how we're staying sustainable. And, and also, of course, pivoting and always leaning on traditional healing. So definitely smudging with our sage and burning our cedar for protection, making sure that we are getting all of the care that we need also. You're leading with love. It's something we need a lot more of. She is Celinda Guerrero, founder of ABQ Mutual Aid. Thanks so much for being with me. Thank you, too. We understand that during this pandemic, people are trying to address their needs. But who is addressing the needs of the population who is underserved? Who's helping out folks who don't have access to Internet? And who's helping out the elderly? My next guest is Becky Jones. She's with Weed Rat and Planned Parenthood. She does all sorts of community organizing, and she understands the inequities for indigenous folks and people in need. She's here to talk about that. Becky, thanks for joining me today. Good afternoon. My name is Becky. And um, yeah, nice to talk to you. It was wonderful to talk with you as well. Now, are you doing well? Are you healthy? Are your friends and family doing okay? Well, as of right now, I'm isolated. I am isolated with my partner and my three fur babies. I am healthy and I am thankful for that. I am blessed to still have a job and able to work from home. As far as my family goes, I've made a couple of 
trips back home to drop off some paper goods and some cleaning supplies for family and just sending back, you know, info and education back home to my family, back on the reds. Um, and back in Gallup, which is a border town to the reservation, Navajo reservation. But yeah, it's, it's pretty scary right now. You know, I think it's just going day by day, figuring out what's happening. Lots of things are postponed. Music has been postponed. It's sad and daunting, but I'm hoping people are taking care of themselves and practicing the social distancing. Yes, yes. We're definitely promoting social distancing because it's about taking care of ourselves if we're going to have any type of future collectively. Now, tell me about what community efforts you're seeing, you know, where organizers are just jumping in and helping out. Which community efforts are you seeing that you really like? I really like what's happening in my local community here in Albuquerque. I know that the mutual aid has started in Albuquerque and that's been awesome. I've been able, along with other coworkers, to donate condoms from um, Planned Parenthood. I am a sex educator with Planned Parenthood of the Rocky Mountains, so I was able to donate some condoms. I also had some leftover emergency contraceptives, so that was I was able to donate that to the folks as well. Another really cool mutual aid that's happening right now is Navajo and Hopi's Families COVID-19 Relief. And it's a mutual aid for folks back home on the res and surrounding areas in Navajo and uh, Hopi communities. They're prioritizing elders and disabled folks and single parent folks right now. Mm -hmm. Um, It was started by Ethel Branch. And right now there's a lot of community members from uh, Navajo Nation who are helping out um, with that specific mutual aid. Okay. And uh, also the Red Nation is doing a lot of work right now in Albuquerque. Now, the government is setting up services, but there's gaps in them. What gaps are you seeing in the government services when it comes to helping people? We're kind of not ready. This is something that this pandemic is something huge. And New Mexico, I know that a lot of people are looking up to our governor and seeing how we're handling a lot of things. Um, but it's a lot different from sovereign nations, Navajo nation, because we're our own territory and nation, I think there's a lot of, we just don't know what to do. It's like the capacity of how many people are getting infected by the virus. It's daunting to see the numbers rise up because I don't know if we have the capacity in our Navajo nation to help people who do have COVID. Like, I don't know. We just, we're just not ready for this. This is something totally new and it's scary. I understand how scary you can feel inundated by constant problems. And if you say that you're not ready and you don't know what to do, it feels like you're trying to handle the emergencies at hand and you can't even look forward to tomorrow or next week as far as strategies to kind of stave things off. Now, tell me, like, what was the first thing that came across your mind when you heard about the virus or the lockdown? I, I was nervous about my family. I think, you know, like a lot of people, I was just nervous for my grandparents. I was nervous for my community, my specific Navajo Nation community getting hit along with other Indigenous people. Like, you know, you see posts on Facebook. It was kind of, it was, at first it was like, well, it's just like the flu and people were downplaying it and downplaying yeah. it. And then we we're finally feeling it now. We're finally seeing the effects and how scary it can be. Now people are, you know, getting scared. People are freaking out. People are buying up all the toilet paper. And people are going back home, back to the reds, because they're scared. They want to be with their families. They want to take care of their families. Yeah. But there's just so much that we don't know about. There's just so much, you know, that people are freaking out about. And I'm, I'm scared of losing family members. I'm scared of losing elders. I'm scared of losing our knowledge keepers. 
of our language, of our creation stories, of our ceremonies. We, we read about this in history that, you know, 90% of our indigenous population was wiped out by the viruses and diseases that came over from the colonizers. Mm-hmm. And we only, we're the rest, we're that, we're the ancestors or the, you know, the folks who are from that 10%. Mm-hmm. We can't live anymore. Yeah. That's very important. Now, when, what's on your mind today when you're when you're thinking about in, in terms of people who need to help? Who are you thinking about who really needs to step up and help out? Oh, um, I think, you know, if there are folks who are able-bodied, who have cars or have some transportation, you know, people who are healthy and um, have, you know, somewhat healthy immune systems, I, I want to see more people my age and younger step up to, you know, either self-isolating themselves and practicing social distancing so they're not spreading germs and the virus to other folks. Mm-hmm. I want to see people my age and younger helping out their families and taking supplies back home and educating their family members. And I want to see, you know, I don't want to see people gaslighting or making people feel bad because we're all freaking out. And yeah. I want just to see more camaraderie and community come together. And it, I've seen it and it's, it's beautiful but I'm also seeing some people, some people's ugly sides. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I agree with you. A lot of cynicism has risen. There's a lot of hope and optimism, but also cynicism. And it's about battling that Mm -hmm. and looking out for each other. Now you're working with a lot of organizers and workers. How are you all taking care of yourselves? You know, we're using hand sanitizers. We're trying to keep things clean. Um, Listening to the CDC, taking precaution. I know right now, as far as my job being a sex educator, we're not going into schools and we're not going to the office and we're working from home. So what does that mean for sex education and for COVID-19 and for students who, you know, need something like sex education right now? Um, You know, it's always something that's always needed, especially the information. So we're trying to figure out ways to like take it. How can kids bring it home? And learn from home. Yeah, I I mean, we're just self-isolating ourselves and practicing safer precautions when it comes to going out and, you know, making sure we're not spreading the the virus. And you're following the guidelines. Now, what do you want people to know or to be aware of and how can other folks help out? You know, I've been reading articles online, like public health articles, and I want folks to really take, you know, the social distancing pretty seriously. A lot of folks who are asymptomatic, who don't show any symptoms, are spreading it faster to people than people who are actually sick. Mm. And it makes a lot of sense. You know, that's just how viruses go. It's just like folks who have a sexually transmitted infection, they might feel healthy and fine, but then they're sexually active with other people, but they have an STI. But just because they're asymptomatic, they have no symptoms, they're spreading it to folks. Yeah. So it's good to just, you know, right now with this virus going around, practice that social distancing. I know it's, it hurts and it's hard, but, you know, for myself, I know I feel good about not going out and spreading it to people and spreading it to other community members. And especially it's hard for me to not go back home and see family and hang out with family. But I know that I'm doing my part by not spreading it to my family. Yeah, that's really good. Because I'm from the city. Yeah. Yeah, I'm from, a, I'm from the metro area and I don't want to take any more viruses back any of my 
tribal communities. Exactly. We want to be sure that everybody's taken care of. And that that means sitting in the house on the couch. Well, no one is going to no one is going to get upset at you now for being a couch potato. She is Becky Jones with Mm -hmm. Weed Rat and Planned Parenthood. She does all sorts of community organizing. I want to thank you for everything that you're doing. You continue to be a leader out there. Be well. Stay healthy because we need more folks like you. Thank you again for being on the show. Thank you. That's about all the time we have for today's show. But now we want to go over the resources we heard about in our episode. And if you want to tell us about other great community-led resources, shoot us an email at yournmgov at gmail.com. We'll be sure to air them. If you want to find out more about family and social services, hit up the city of Albuquerque. That's cabq.gov slash family slash services slash health dash social dash services. It's a lot but they do help a lot. Call 311 if you're in rent trouble. That's calling 311 if you are in rent trouble, and they will direct you to the quadrant where you can get your help. Fight for our lives. You want to find out more about them? Go to ffol.org. To find a full list of the resources we talk about on each episode and opportunities to donate or help online, you can find that at bit.ly slash ynmg hub. And how are things going for you? We want to hear about it. Call us up, 505-218-7084. We'll play your messages on our show, or you can email us at yournmgov at gmail.com. Cram to understand how college students are responding to the epidemic. That's tomorrow's show. Students across the country have had their futures seemingly put on hold due to the coronavirus outbreak. No more graduation, spring break vacations, and activities. How are they processing what has happened and how do they feel about their futures? Tomorrow, I talk with some college students to see what's on their minds. Your New Mexico government is executive produced by Marisa DeMarco. It's produced by yours truly. News update is by Marisa DeMarco. Music by Pope. Yes, yes, y'all. Your New Mexico government is a collaboration between KUNM, New Mexico PBS, and the Santa Fe Reporter. Funding for our coverage is provided in part by the Thornburg Foundation and the New Mexico Local News Fund. Find this show on KUNM.org or subscribe through iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. For everyone here at your New Mexico government, I'm Khalil A. Colonna. Thanks for listening.